You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, good morning. Uh, so good to be with you. Um, like like Riz said, my name is Zach. My wife, Megan, and I have been coming here for about uh, three and a half years. Um, yeah, and it's just really good to be with you. You guys mean so much to us, uh, and you guys, are, you guys are awesome. So it's, it's really good to be here. So we are continuing in James. We're actually starting the last chapter today. We're going to be looking at James 5, verses 1 through 6. And like we said, uh, this series has been really good, and it's been really challenging. There's a quote from the Bible Project, uh, and they're talking about James. And they say, James's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. It's a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. And I think that's a pretty apt description, and we're definitely going to continue that theme today. Uh, but why James is doing this and why, uh, why it is so challenging is because he's calling on Christians to follow Jesus and by following his teachings to, to become wise. And he, uh, he draws on the Sermon on the Mount a lot, which is Jesus' largest block of teaching that we have, and we'll see more of that today. And um, what, he's, what he's teaching us about is the kingdom of God. He's teaching us about what it means to be followers of Jesus. And, and before we start, I just want to note that this, uh, like we said, this isn't easy. Um, even Jesus's, uh, the people who are listening to Jesus preach in real time, even his disciples, a lot of times they didn't understand what he was talking about. Um, James was actually Jesus's brother, so he grew up with him. He saw his whole ministry, all the miracles he did, uh, so many teachings, and he even, even James didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was for like a long time. So even the brother of Jesus had a hard time understanding what this way of Jesus means. So I just want to go into this passage today knowing that we have grace and that um, we don't have to instantly understand everything and perfectly apply it to our lives right when we go home. This is a journey. Following Jesus means we're walking behind him as he leads. So I just wanted to put that out there. But as we, as we read our text this morning, let's try and think about what is James trying to teach us about the kingdom of God? What is he trying to say we should be living for? So, here we go. James chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter." You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. May the Lord uh, bless giving us good understanding of his word this morning. Let's, Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are good and that, um, 
you've made a way for us and that you want us to be a part of your kingdom and that through uh, the craziness of this messed up world, we can have hope and we can have joy and peace by following you and by following your son. And I pray that you will speak through me and that through uh, your words today uh, from James that we will learn how to love you more, how to love others more, and how to be, how to be a part of your kingdom. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, what, what can we pull from this passage? What can we learn about the kingdom? Well, the, the first thing I want to start with is talking about money. So James in this passage is addressing rich people, and he's specifically calling out their relationship with their wealth. So what does he say they do? Well, he says in verse 3 that they're storing it up, so they're saving up this wealth. And he also says uh, that they're spending it on lives of luxury in verse 5. So uh, that might not seem necessarily that bad on the surface, right? Uh, if, if you came up to me and said, oh, what's your relationship with money? I said, well, I'm saving some and I got a little extra, so, you know, I'm, I'm buying some new cool things. You know, be like, oh, awesome, sweet, good for you. Especially in our culture, that's super normal. But James, like, really comes down on them for this. He's using really harsh language against these people, and he's saying it's totally opposite of how we should be living. Why? Why does he do that? Well, let's, let's first look at this, this uh, thing that he says where they're, they're storing up treasure. And really what I think he's getting at is these people, these rich people, are relying on their wealth for their future and their security. Uh, Jesus had a parable about this in Luke chapter 12. He says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all of my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So we can kind of see from this parable here that the problem that these rich people are having with storing up all this wealth is that they're putting their trust and their future in their, and their hope in that wealth. Rather than trusting in God who made the world and made them and puts the breath in our lungs, they're trusting in something that is so temporary. Not only can it be taken away from us in this life now, but when we die, we don't take any of that with us. And really what this is, ultimately, is idolatry. These rich people, James says, are putting in the place of God money. The thing that they're putting all their trust in, it's, it's completely misdirected. It's in the wrong place. So that's the first thing. And the second thing he, he comes down on, he says, you have lived lives of luxury and self-indulgence. And again, on the surface, that might not necessarily seem that bad, but what does that mean, really? What is he getting at? What he's saying is they care more about having things, about maintaining their own lifestyle, 
than they care about following God or than they care about other people. It's, it's kind of like these people are having this huge feast with all their friends, and there's so much food, and they're eating themselves sick, and they have so much leftover, so much so that they're just throwing it away, and then sitting right outside their door are people that are starving. And rather than inviting them in and saying, hey, I have excess, let me share that, they're, they're being self-indulgent. They're keeping it all for themselves. They're just storing up excess on top of excess for no other reason, for no other reason than just having more. Uh, and that's what James is really coming down on. Holding all those things just for your own pleasure and your own wealth and ignoring other people is wrong. And what does he say is the consequence of, of this attitude towards money? He, t- he talks about uh, the last days and the day of slaughter. I don't know if you notice that he mentions that word twice. And what he's referring to here is what we might think of as judgment day. The day when God is going to come to the earth and every one of us is going to have to stand before him and, held, and be held accountable for our actions. And for those of us who, who follow Jesus, we'll be forgiven and we'll be given life and we'll be able to dwell with him forever. But James is saying for these people that idolize money, that pursuit, that thing that they were doing for their whole life is just stacking up guilt on themselves. And as they stack up their, their balances, they're stacking up judgment for themselves. He says, you fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. And, and what he's saying is you're just making yourself, you're bringing more and more judgment uh, upon yourself. You were going to be judged by God anyway, and you're just adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. And when that day comes, all that judgment's still going to be there, but that, that huge balance that you built up over your whole life, that goes to zero. Nothing that you built in this life will remain, but all of that judgment will still be here. And James is trying to show us that if that's how we live, if that's our mindset, that's just foolishness, because it's just all going to go away. It's extremely temporary, and it's not the way of God. It's not how he wants us to live. So, uh, if that is what we shouldn't be doing, begs the question then, what's the alternative? How should we be viewing and handling our money? What should we be putting our value and our hope and our trust in? Jesus addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount, like I mentioned earlier, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Right? Kind of see the parallels to James here, where he might have uh, gotten that. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus would say is rather than living to acquire earthly wealth, things like money, we should look to acquire heavenly wealth. And, And what does that mean? Well, it means living how Jesus called us to, specifically to love God and to to love others. Because that's the thing that's going to be rewarded. That's the thing that has eternal and lasting and real value. That is, is heavenly treasure that cannot be corrupted. 
Uh, so if we're going to do that, though, it then, what it then forces us to do is that it forces us to trust God and not to trust in money when it comes to our needs. We see that James is saying that these rich people, they thought they had enough to, to provide for themselves for the rest of their life. In that parable, that guy says, I have so much built up, I can retire, uh, I can eat, drink, and be merry. That's what they're sort of putting their security in. Um, and that, that's the temptation, I think, that we all face, is that, well, we want to be comfortable, we want to have enough, and we tend to do that by trying to, through money, right, right? That's kind of the easiest way. If I have this much money, then I can have this thing, and then I'll be okay. I'm sure, you know, we've, we've all thought something along those lines at some point. But instead, what Jesus is calling us to do is to acknowledge that uh, if we live and follow him, that God will provide everything we need in a much more rich and a much more secure way than money ever could. So, does that mean that, you know, oh, I'm trusting in God, he's going to provide everything for me so I can quit my job, you know, I should just burn all of my possessions? No, no, that's, that's not what James is saying. And in fact, that kind of misses the point, right? Uh, James and Jesus aren't uh, condemning money, or, or, you know, a good job, or, or even luxury, I think, just in and of themselves. It's not that those things are necessarily inherently evil, but what they are condemning is our attitude towards those things, right? What's the language they use in these passages? He talked about loving money, craving money, living in self-indulgence, right? Only keeping things for ourselves, he also mentioned in verse 4, and we'll talk about this more later, that these rich people were taking advantage of other people just to line their own pockets. And, and finally, they were trusting that money could provide them hope and security. And that's what James is coming, coming down so hard on. Uh, and I, I just want to point out before we go forward, James is addressing rich people here, but this attitude that idolatry, that we can fall into that no matter how much money we have. That is not a factor of your bank balances. No matter how much or how little we have, we can idolize money. We can crave money, and we can put our security in it. Um, with that, though, I, I don't know about you. I usually don't go around saying, oh, I, I love money, and I'm going to put, you know, forget God, I'm going to put all of my hope and security in money. That's, you know, that's usually not something that we do. But, at least for me, I can slip into that attitude sort of subconsciously without even really realizing it. One, one example happened um, this past summer. Uh, you know, with, you know, inflation was going crazy, gas prices, groceries, everything was more expensive. Um, and it came the time of the month where I would usually tithe and... I was like, well, you know, I could tithe, like, we have enough, but things are so expensive right now, and it would kind of be nice, like, if I didn't, you know, uh, so, may, I'll, may, but I know I should, so maybe just next week I'll, I'll look at it, and then I'll just do it then, and then the next week would roll around, and I'd say, oh, well, I could, and I know I should, but uh, I don't know, like, I've, uh, things are really expensive right now, maybe, maybe, maybe later, 
and then a month would roll, and then another month would roll around. And it ended up being like a long period of time. I just didn't tithe at all. And I'm not saying like tithing is the only good way, you know, you should handle your money. That's just, that's just for me personally. But for me personally, what I slipped into is, oh, well, if I have this money in my account rather than tithing it, I'll be a little bit more secure. I'll, uh, you know, if some unexpected expenses, expense comes up or things are more expensive, I'll have that little extra that I can have and I'll be okay. And what was I doing there? I was trusting that uh, my future and my security would come from money and not from God. And it just happened so easily. I didn't even realize it. And then one day God was like, hey, it's, it's not good. Uh, you should be trusting in me. Um, so I'm sure, you know, it, as, hopefully as I'm saying that example, maybe there's something um, that comes up with you that's for you personally, but I know for me that's, that's definitely true. So what we all need to do is we constantly need to check ourselves and we need to ask ourselves, what are we putting our trust and our purpose and our hope in? Uh, so that's what we need to sort of actively be guarding against. But in terms of money, is there anything we could sort of move towards? Uh, what does it look like to have a healthy, kingdom-minded relationship with money? Uh, the Apostle Paul has, a, I think, a super good temper, template for this uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, again, don't quit your job. Use your job. Use the gifts that God has given you for his kingdom. You know, it's it, kind of what Paul is describing here is we can exchange our earthly money, our earthly treasure for heavenly treasure. That's a great exchange. We can use the things that we've been given to be generous and to help other people uh, and to be ready to share and to build up for ourselves an actual foundation in trusting God. And, you know, as you look through history, how many schools have been built, how many hospitals, how many people have been fed and clothed by the generosity of God's people? Uh, what, what better way to use our money? Now, again, that's not easy. All this stuff that I said is for sure very challenging, but if we can have that mindset, it gives us so much freedom and so much contentment and so much peace because we don't have to spend our lives worrying and having anxiety about money. So, um, I have three kind of application points to sum up what we talked about here if you're taking notes. Um, and before I say them, I just want to say again that all of these things apply no matter how much or how little you have. The first one is that God's kingdom is not about earthly wealth. Second is that acknowledging that we rely on God for everything frees us to be generous and to not let money dominate our life. 
And then lastly, we should use our money to acquire treasure in heaven. Uh, I think if, if we can sort of implement these three things, uh, it will be much, uh, that's, what, that's what following Jesus means, I think, from what James is telling us here um, in regards to money. The second thing from this passage that I want to talk about uh, has to do uh, with verses 4 through 6. So I'm just going to, in a sec, reread those. So this is verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So the second thing that I want to talk about is oppression and injustice, because that's definitely a, a big topic that James brings up here. So James is uh, addressing a specific group of people. He's addressing a group of wealthy elites who, as we see here, are taking advantage of people to support their lavish lifestyles. In ancient Rome, uh, there's a system, kind of what we might think of as sort of the medieval, medieval feudal system, where you would have uh, these rich landowners who would own the land, and then they would hire people to work the land and to harvest their crops, um, and then those rich landowners would then make the profit from all of that. Um, so what James is describing is, you know, we have these rich landowners, and they, uh, and in the ancient world, they actually paid them at the end of every day. So you would come, you would do your work, and then at the end of the day, you would get paid. But what James is saying here, what isn't happening is those workers actually getting paid. The rich landowners are holding back that money, and it says they're doing it by fraud. And in the ancient world, for a lot of these workers, that money that you got at the end of the day, that was how you ate that day. So if you didn't get paid, right, and if you didn't get paid, if you were sort of this farmhand, this maybe serf, you could think about them, you didn't have any rights. You had no power. So if the rich landowner says, hey, I'm just not going to pay you today, there's nothing you could do about it. And if you didn't get paid that day, you didn't eat and your family didn't eat in, in a lot of cases. So if this happened over a period of time, you know, starvation was very possible. And, you know, in verse 6, when he says, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person, he's not saying they've face-to-face, like, you know, stabbed them or something. He's saying by withholding those wages, you, you're effectively killing that person because they can't eat. So, Uh, Why is that wrong? Hopefully, on human level, we can understand why that's wrong and that's um, injustice and abuse of power. This is something that the law of Moses in the Old Testament specifically banned. Um, But what I want to highlight here is James says that God hears the cries of injustice from these people. God doesn't care about the wealth and power of some people. He's like, oh, you guys are wealthy. You're cool. Do whatever. No, no, no. He cares about how they're treating other people. And throughout the Old Testament, 
God commands that the people, the nation of Israel, that they care for the most vulnerable people in their society and that they not take advantage of them, like what's happening here. Uh, There's a specific law given in Exodus uh, chapter 22, which I think um, shed some light on this passage in James. It says, this is God speaking to Israel. He says, you must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in every way, in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives and your widows will be, will be and your children will be fatherless. Uh, so we can see from these verses that God takes this very seriously. And we can also kind of see maybe where James is getting the language that he uses. And, and again, God takes this very seriously. And when he hears the cries for justice from the oppressed, he hears them. And when these people uh, that James is addressing are taking advantage of people in this way, and then the reason they're taking advantage of them is for money, which we've already seen is, is an idol and is something that is a huge problem in their lives, you know, it's, it's really a double whammy. And you can kind of see, it, it doesn't necessarily make these verses easier to read, but it does give some context about why James is coming down on these people so harshly. Because this behavior is completely opposite of God, and it's just, it's evil. So, one thing that I want to highlight is if you are being, if you are being taken advantage of, if you are experiencing injustice, then God sees you he hears your cry, and he acknowledges that injustice. In God's kingdom, the most important people are the poor and the oppressed, not the rich and powerful. Um, and in terms of these rich landowners, I think there's probably not that many of us who own fields and hire day laborers and don't pay them, right? This probably doesn't apply to a lot of us directly. Um, but I do think, reading this, we need to ask the question, is our own desire for comfort or for convenience or for financial gain blinding us to injustice and oppression? Uh, I'm going to read you a testimony of a woman named uh, Noi Supalai. Sorry, Noi, I think I butchered your name. But she, was, she is a, a woman from Thailand, and she worked in a factory that made Nike products. She said, because the workers could not produce all of the products by the set deadline, Nike put a fine on the factory, which in turn barred the factory from paying the workers. It had been two months that we did not get paid. And then later, speaking of, of these workers, since they lacked the financial stability to cover their basic necessities, the workers went on strike. The factory set up an appointment with some Nike representatives, which also ended in failure as they never showed up. Does that sound familiar to our passes in James? Guess what, uh, guess what new running shoes I just got last month? Uh, 
yeah, not, not feeling great about that. Um, I do want to say, there's so much injustice going on in the world and throughout our whole economic system. Um, we can't possibly keep track of everything that's going on. Um, I'm not saying, you know, if you own something that's Nike, like you're being condemned to hell or something. That's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I am saying is we shouldn't just turn a blind eye to things. We, if we see this sort of thing happening, we shouldn't just say, oh, well, I want that thing, or that's convenient, or I can gain something financially from this. No, we should be caring about that, and we shouldn't just be turning away from it for our own gain. Let me give you another example. Um, in one week's time, the greatest uh, event of this year is happening. Anybody know? World Cup. FIFA World Cup starts in one week. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, teams from all over the world are going to come uh, and compete. Um, and this year, the World Cup is in Qatar, which is a small uh, nation in the Middle East. And um, they, when they won the bid for the World Cup, they actually didn't have a single stadium built. Uh, and, it, you know, they, there was some, some money that exchanged hands for them to uh, host the World Cup. Um, and in the course of building all these stadiums to host this massive event, um, they brought in like thousands and thousands of, of workers from other countries to build these stadiums. And in a lot of cases, the conditions were so bad, whether the living conditions or working conditions, that um, it's estimated that uh, over 6,000 of these migrant workers died in the course of building these stadiums, and um, there's no investigation as to why or what happened. Um, so, <laughs> that, I, I'm still not sure how to feel about that, right? Because I love watching the World Cup. It's, it's so much fun, and it brings so much joy to so many people around the world. But at the same time, you know, watching these matches that are in stadiums that were built uh, by people where a lot of them died as a result of the poor conditions that they were put in. Uh, and I don't, I don't have a solution. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, but again, uh, what I'm saying is that as people of the kingdom, we're called to be more than just non-oppressors. We're called to be more than just the people that, uh, you know, don't do that stuff. We're called to care about those people and to care about those issues. And we see that James in this passage, he's not just caring about the people, but he's being their advocate. He's specifically calling out the oppressors and saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Um, and, and today, you know, in that chapter in Exodus, uh, it highlighted three really vulnerable groups, the immigrants, widows, and orphans. And, you know, we still have vulnerable groups like that in our society today. Are we willing to speak up for those people? Do we help and do we care for those people? Um, and as, as a church, I think we, we do do this. You know, at this school, there's a lot of need and we're doing a lot of things to help the kids at this school, a lot of them are in really vulnerable positions. Our food distribution, um, 
every week, you know, or every month giving out food to people that need it. Um, I, I think in our culture today, sort of some of the modern day widows um, are teen moms. And I just want to call out uh, Meg and Jen sitting up front here, and they work with this organization called Young Lives, which helps and cares and provides resources for teen moms and their babies. It's a super awesome thing. Um, that's the sort of stuff, that's what we should be caring about. Uh, we shouldn't be caring about acquiring money, about stacking wealth on top of wealth, about living uh, our own lives of luxury and comfort and convenience. We should be putting our time and energy into, into the kingdom, into helping people, into helping those people that are in need and, and being their advocate. And yeah, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's what James is trying to tell us, um, and certainly what he's trying to tell uh, this group of people that he's calling out. So, uh, I have, again, three sort of points of application that sum up uh, what I've been talking about. And the first one is that God cares and sees, God sees and cares about the vulnerable and oppressed, and we should too. Second is that we should not put our own convenience, luxury, or financial gain before the well-being of others. And then finally, advocating for the vulnerable and denouncing injustice is an essential part of following Jesus. So uh, the stuff we talked about today is not easy. It's not the easiest passage. Um, but I think that we can live this sort of life because Jesus did it first. Jesus cared for the most vulnerable people around him. He didn't just go to the people who are rich or powerful or who could benefit him. Jesus only owned the clothes on his back. He relied on his Father to provide him everything. And ultimately, he was willing to give everything. He was willing to die for, for heavenly treasure. He was willing to do his Father's will uh, and, and forsake everything in this life. Um, so, again, this is not easy, but we can follow Jesus' example, right? We are followers of Jesus. And we can follow him knowing that he lived this out perfectly and that he did it first. Uh, if... Andrew and Zoe, you guys want to come up. Uh, I'm just going to close with this. Uh, this is from John chapter 10, uh, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We don't just follow Jesus just to avoid judgment. This isn't like a fear-based relationship why we should be doing these things. We follow Jesus because it's the only way that we can live a truly abundant and meaningful life in this messed up world. When Jesus died and when he made that sacrifice for us and allowed us to, to live in his kingdom to follow him, He freed us from having to live a life of misery and anxiety and depression. He freed us from being oppressed and oppressing others. 
He freed us from being vulnerable and exploiting other people's vulnerability. And he freed us from having to live our lives just chasing money only to watch it slip away. Instead, we can live lives of peace and of contentment and joy because no matter what happens, our treasure is in heaven. And that's ultimately, that's why we follow him. And that's also uh, why we take communion every week. Uh, on the sides here, we have communion. Uh, and any time during uh, the second set, uh, I'd encourage you to come and take communion because we do it to remember that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live this life. He, he put off all earthly treasure and exchanged it all for heavenly treasure, and he did it for us. Uh, so I'm going to pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue with worship. Father, uh, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending him to, to come and die so that we don't have to live a miserable life, but that we could have joy and we can have abundance in you. Uh, thank you that you're willing to sacrifice everything for that. And I pray that uh, we would follow you, that that would be our desire, that we wouldn't put our hope and our trust in earthly things, but instead that we would, uh, we would seek heavenly treasure, that we would help those that need it. Thank you, Lord, that when we were vulnerable and that we were oppressed by sin and death, you saw us and you heard our cry and you did something about it. You sent your son. I pray that we would remember that and that it would cause us to praise you uh, and to follow you and live for your kingdom. We thank you so much again for Jesus and we pray all this in his name.